Amen. Well, we are starting a brand new series this morning, The Power to Change. And uh, I've been excited for this for a while now, uh, actually, and some things. And so I'm excited to dive into this topic this morning. And so this is a four-week series that we're going to be doing on the power to change. And I, I pray and I want to encourage you to make a commitment this morning uh, that you will decide that you will be here every Sunday of this series and make that commitment today. Because I was taught a long time ago, if you don't learn to, to delegate your time and to dictate where your time goes, other things will. And so if you make that choice today to say, Lord, uh, by your grace, and if possible, I want to be there every single Sunday of this series. Now, I also want to let you know, if you like taking notes and you want to follow along, uh, there's some uh, references we're going to have for you uh, in the app, which is North Goodland BC in the app store. Uh, you can find today's message notes there. If you go to uh, media, and then I believe it's message notes, and then you'll find today's date. Those are there for you as well. Uh, but I want to kind of start by just kind of really talking to this idea of change. And along this time of year, uh, many of us are thinking about things that we want to change. Uh, many of us have tried to start uh, a new year and, and kind of the, maybe you're doing this now with uh, the idea of, okay, there's some habits that we need to break. There's some habits that we need to get rid of. There's some things that have control over us that we need to, to move on from those habits. Those things are dominating my life or they're controlling me. They're not healthy spiritually, not healthy physically, whatever it might be. And we're, we're committed to saying, I'm going to change these habits. I'm going to commit to break these habits. Or you're at a point of saying, I want to make some new habits. I want to develop some new habits in my life that would help me in my health or help me in my spiritual life. Sometimes we set these goals and, and really that's why I don't love the word resolution. And I understand why we use it. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. Um, I think usually what we mean are goals. We have certain goals that we're trying to set for ourselves. And we pray that, that God would be honored in those things, of course. And, and we set those goals and we desire to break these habits and start new ones. And then we see success. Amen. We see positive things coming out of this. We see those habits start to fade away. We see victory over these things that control us. And then we see new habits coming in and we're excited because we're seeing progress. We're seeing success in these things. Uh, one personal thing that over the last couple of years I've really tried to commit to is, is I've never really been an avid reader. Uh, I don't read for fun. Uh, some of you love reading for fun. Any fun readers? Like you, if you have downtime, you're on a book of some kind, okay? Uh, my wife, Sandra, is a leisure reader. She loves reading leisurely. At the end of the day, she just enjoys that. Or if she's got five minutes in the car, her iPad's out and she's reading a book of, about something. Um, I love reading for preparation of sermons, reading for studying theology, all those kind of things. I was joking with somebody this morning that there's a book by a Puritan writer that I've been slowly trying to read through for probably about four months now. Um, I'm not a very avid reader. So a couple years ago, I just felt this kind of leading of the Lord to say, okay, for some of you, this would be, you could do this in two days. But for me, I said, Lord, I want to read a book a month, every month this year. And this was a couple years ago and, and by God's grace and his goodness and through diligence and just working hard at it, I was able to, to do that. But this last year, I, I let it slip a little bit. I didn't read a book a month this last year. And so I, even when we see success in these things, if we don't stay with these things, it's easy for these things to kind of slide back into that old way of thinking and doing and living. And it could be anything. And I, I know usually right now, a lot of emphasis is put on health and wellness and fitness and all that. Nothing wrong with that. But the point of all this is to say, 
let's not make a commitment on the surface. Let's not make a commitment on emotion. Let's prayerfully seek the Lord's wisdom and say, Lord, what would you have me to change in my life? What are some habits that need to go? They're just not healthy spiritually or physically. What are some new habits that would be great things for me? And then as we see those successful moments of a month that you achieve your goal and another month and another month. And maybe it's relationships. You want to see some improvement there. Maybe it's personal finances. You want to get better with your finances and maybe not. And you see those successful wins and you kind of get that excitement, right? Like, okay, we can do this. And obviously we know it's all by God's grace, but the opposite can also be true when we set these goals and then we don't achieve them like we thought we would. And next thing you know, now we're discouraged and we're defeated and we're beating ourselves up. And I, I could never do this and I can't do this and I'm never going to change. Those are the worst things we can say to ourselves because in Christ, there's always possibility for change and growth. In Christ, we can always grow and change. But again, it's sometimes I think we start off on the wrong foot. We're just kind of surface or we're based in emotion or based in what other people think we should do or shouldn't do. And rather, we should be diving into prayer saying, Lord, how would you have me to handle my finances? How would you have me to interact with those that I'm in relationship with? How would you have me manage my time so that I can be more effective with the time that I have and not end up procrastinating things and stressing other people out and robbing time from family or you so that I can do these things that if I was just more prepared, I would have been better at doing. Maybe it's personal goals that you have for yourself in your own spiritual walk. Maybe you want to commit this year to being more faithful and reading God's word or in prayer or spending time in, in the church with the body of believers. Maybe you want to commit to serving in some way this year. These are all great things. And if we're not careful, if we set the bar to a point and then we say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then we try to do it in our own strength and we fail, we get discouraged and we want to quit. Even when we succeed in those things, we got to be careful that we don't take the credit for those things. It's only by God's grace that we have the breath in our lungs to do the things that we're able to do. So wherever you are in all of this at this year, maybe you're at a point where you're like, you know what? I don't need to change. I've got it all figured out. I'm good. I can't get any better in any area of my life because I've got it pretty well in hand. Well, we're going to see you at the altar at the end of service because that's a lie. So we hope that you'll get your heart right by the end of service. The spirit will draw you. But of course we know that's not true. That's why we can all laugh at that because every single one of us knows, no, 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 no. We all have areas that we can grow in and improve in. So wherever you are in all of this, I believe that we are all growing and striving to become more of who God has called us to be. Not so that we can be something, but that his name would be made something in this world. That he would be glorified in our lives. But I also want to promise you, because I've been around ministry just long enough, not too terribly long, but long enough. And I've been around churches enough at the beginning of the year to know how sometimes these kinds of series can go. I want to promise you that this will not be a sermon series where I lay out seven steps to this or that outcome. I'm not going to talk about five steps to a better you. This isn't going to be centered. This series is not primarily going to be centered on us. Now, we're talking about us making some changes and we're talking about us improving in some things and changing some things in our lives for God's glory. But I believe the true way to achieve that is by centering this sermon series on the Lord and on him and on his word. 
And so this is not about a topical way for you to improve in seven easy steps. And I feel like we live in a church culture today that wants that, don't we? I mean, every time you turn around, it's like, okay, can you tell me how to be a better this? Like, I want to change and be a better husband, a better wife, a better mom, a better dad, a better whatever. And I understand that desire to change and grow and be better in that area or that field of your life. And, and that's good to have that. But I found it to be true. And just listening to people, reading various things, talking to different individuals. So often we just want that six-week Bible study to get us better in that area. And that's not the Christian life. Now, is there anything wrong with taking a six-week Bible study? Absolutely not. We can do that. That's good. But I have found, and just listening to others that are much older, much wiser than me, that have been in ministry a lot longer, that just in the general day-to-day study of God's word, we just the general topics that we want to see changed and grow and improve in begin to be addressed by just the general time with the Lord. Isn't it amazing how he does that? Now, so many people will tell me, man, I was just reading in my Bible reading plan and whatever that is for you, maybe you're not doing the Bible in a year, that's fine. Have some kind of a road to run on, some kind of a strategy to look at God's word. I wouldn't encourage you just to go, okay, it's Tuesday, mm, let's start here. Okay, and that's where I'm going to read today. It's okay to have a little bit more of a structured idea of where you're going in the word. But it's amazing how you'll be reading in a passage that seemingly has no connection to your marriage or your job or your children. And you'll read a passage and you'll go, wow. That speaks to exactly where I am right now and exactly what I need to do or how I need to think or what I need to pray about. And so again, there's nothing wrong with topical studies and topical Bible studies on things. We just did one on prayer and it was amazing for the ladies. Uh, We've done various ones. That's fine. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just want you to know in your day-to-day Christian life, if you will develop the habit of just spending time with him in his word and in prayer you'll see him begin to draw to your attention the areas that need to change. And by the working of the Holy Spirit, you'll just begin to understand those things. Now, knowledge of those things and application of those things, that's the hard part. Many of us know, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or testify or stand and tell the church where you need to change. Now, I could do that, but that'd be a little awkward for you, okay? But we all know those areas we need to change. I don't think we're really struggling with that. I think all of us know, okay, yeah, my prayer life, it could be better. My studying God's word could be better. But the, the application of that, knowledge of that is one thing, but to apply those things, man, that's where it takes just diligence of just committing to him. And here's the thing, when we blow it, notice I didn't say if we blow it, when we miss that day of our devotion, when we miss that thing, when we lapse back into that old habit, we have to be so guarded against the flesh and the enemy who want to remind us of, yeah, see... I don't know. We don't listen to that voice. We listen to, and I love the song. I just heard it the other day for the first time in a long time by Casting Crowns, Voice of Truth. No, that's the voice we listen to. He's the one calling me out above the waves. He's the one calling me to stand against those enemies in my life in his name and for his glory. And so we listen to that voice that says, yeah, you, you blew it. You need to repent of that and turn from that. But there's grace. I can restore you. I can lift you out of that. And I can set your feet for a path that directs you towards my glory and your blessing. So this morning, I really want to start in the only place I thought I could as I was praying about this series. And it's a passage we've gone to so much over the years. But I pray it's a passage that you see as not just something we go to when we talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. But it's really a core passage for the Christian faith. 
Like we have to believe what these verses say if we truly claim to be followers of Christ. Because in this passage, we find the foundation of all that we really believe about salvation, Christ, God, prayer, heaven, hell. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, we're going to read in just a moment. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, if you don't have a copy of God's word, either in print or on your device there, uh, there are Bibles in the seats around you. Uh, You can grab one of those and use one of those uh, copies of God's word. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 840. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the seats, you can turn to page 840. Um, And I really want to encourage you to just turn there and open up to there. If you don't have a copy of God's word, I want you to see these words for yourself. Um, I I love that you bring the copy of God's word with you to the Lord's house. Uh, This is the truth that we stand on. And and so I want you to be familiar with knowing what it is to go to places in scripture. And now I know some of you are going this way. You're scrolling to the passage. That's fine. I always remember the sword drills when I was in youth group and stuff. You had to have the Bible up, binder up, you know, you had to have it ready to go. You couldn't have your finger in there ready to go, you know, in the older New Testament, if you knew where it was going to be. Jolly Ranchers, boy. We did a lot of work for some Jolly Ranchers. That's all I'm going to tell you, man. We worked hard for those Jolly Ranchers, boy. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. And again, I know these are familiar verses, but I want you to see the foundational aspect of these verses. If this is not true, then you have zero, zero credibility in the Gospels, zero credibility in your faith, zero credibility in your profession of your faith. And we can trust nothing if these verses are not true in God's word. He says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning already. Just a time in worship, a time of offering, a time of fellowship, greeting one another. So good to see so many here. Good to see some that are back from vacation and traveling and, uh, Lord, from the holidays. And, And we just are so thankful to gather with the body of Christ. This time is so valuable. Nothing on planet earth can replace fellowship with the body. When we as the church come together, as Pastor Greg said, to encourage and and support one another, to pray with and for one another, to serve one another through the gifts of the Spirit, this cannot be replaced. It is that valuable. And Lord, we think of our church family that are not feeling well this morning. There are a handful that are under the weather and this time of year that can happen. And so we pray you'd bring healing and comfort to them. But Father, we thank you for a time where we can get before your word. And I pray that you alone would be glorified in all that is said and done. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom in the areas of our lives that need to change. And then also realize that you give us the power to make those changes. We don't have to make excuses. We have you. And so, Lord, would you just do all that needs to be done this morning? And we pray, Lord, above all things, if there's someone here, either in person or online, that has not personally received Christ as their Lord and Savior, they've not for themselves repented of their sins and trusting in Christ, that maybe they would do that this morning by the leading of your spirit. 
They would realize that their sin carries a consequence of separation from you in a place of hell. But yet, Lord, you came and died on the cross, were buried and rose again, so that anyone who places their faith and trust in Christ will have a guarantee of salvation, an eternal hope that can never be taken away. You will place us in your hand and hold us until the day of redemption. And so, Father, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your love. Thank you for conquering death and hell and the grave. And the reality is that because you've conquered the grave, you've conquered death, we in Christ have conquered the grave, have conquered death, and one day we will be with you. Death has no victory. There will be glorified in all of this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I truly believe that the greatest resource for growth we could ever need is found in the word of God. We live in a world today that wants, again, the new bestseller to tell us what to do, how to be happy. We want a new word or a new strategy on being happy or finding that next level of the Christian faith. And we want that new thing and that new book and that new word. And and there's nothing wrong with reading godly, biblically sound authors to help us in our walk with Christ. But we must never neglect the treasure of the word of God in our lives. And I come across this often. People want to talk about the new book or the new thing. And, and notice I said there, there is nothing wrong with reading from godly, biblically sound authors. Just because it's in a Christian bookstore does not mean it's godly or biblically sound. And by the way, there is no chance this is your best life now. Just telling you, Joel's got it wrong on that one. And on a lot of things, let's be honest. If, you're, if this is your best life now then you don't want to spend eternity where you're going to spend eternity. Because the only way this is your best life now is that if you're not going to heaven, but you're going to hell. If you're going to heaven, how could this be your best life now? That's your best life now. That's amazing. We want heaven for our home for eternity, not this life. But as you think about that, there's so many good resources out there, and that's fine. But man, we can never neglect the power of God's word in our life. There is a treasure there that we must receive. So the word of God, above all things, by the word of any other human being, and by the way, there are no real new words, right? We see new application of things maybe in our lives or or new understanding of things, but the word of God is the word of God and it is inspired. It is God-breathed. The word of God is inspired. It is literally breathed out by God. Now, the word inspired in the Greek is a word that Paul actually kind of coined in this passage and literally translates to God breathed or God breathed out these words. One commentator said this, and I love the way that he words this as we understand this word inspired. He says this, human authors put the words to paper through their own personal perspectives and styles, but the ultimate source of this information is not human but divine. The Greek language makes the particular description even more layered. The Greek root word here is used for wind or breath, a spirit or the spirit. This is a wordplay Jesus uses when speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 8. In a symbolic sense in the Greek language, the word Paul uses is the model of the Bible itself, an extension of God's will formed out of his spirit in written form. It is an extension of God's will formed out of his spirit in written form. You see, God is so gracious to give us his word in both the Old and the New Testament. 
Now, when Paul writes this to Timothy, this is all scripture. We have to understand specifically and, and in context, he's speaking of the Old Testament, but also he's speaking of New Testament writers that were beginning to write or are writing God's word. And we see this often in scripture where one author of scripture affirms another author of scripture's work. Uh, Peter does this with the apostle Paul when he references Paul's writings and letters as from God. And so often we see in scripture where even the authors of scripture understood that this writing, what they were writing was not on par with anything else they've ever written. It's believed that some of these authors, Paul and other apostles wrote other things to other churches, but those things were not seen as scripture. So even the apostles themselves understood that this word, there's something different about this word. It is inspired. It is God breathed. It is given to mankind so that we might know him and make him God. This was also Peter's point. And again, if in your notes on the app, you have this, but if you want to write it down, you can. Second Peter chapter one and verse 20. Peter says that no scripture is of private interpretation. Now we hear that and we think, oh, that means I can't make scripture mean something that I want it to mean just myself. And that's true. We can't do that. But that's not really the meaning in the original language. The way that Peter uses this phrase, no private interpretation, actually means that the prophecy of God does not come from some human interpretation of events, but comes from God himself. These are claims which, if shown to be true, can only be the production of inspiration by God. So why is it so important to know this? Because I believe the number one thing that's being attacked in Christianity today, in the world today, even in churches today, is the validity and sufficiency of God's word. But if it's inspired, if it's breathed out by God, then this is the standard on which we stand in our faith. You claim in Christ, if you know Christ is your Savior, you say, no, no, I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for me. And if I put my faith and trust in Christ, he will forgive me of all my sins, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and give me a new name written down in the Lamb's book of life. And one day, I will see him, and I will be like him in the resurrection. And we go, how do we know that? Well, because the book tells me. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But what if it's not inspired? What if this isn't breathed out by God? Well, then that's just Paul's idea, John's idea, Matthew's idea. That's just their opinion. We can't trust it. No more than you can trust any other spiritual guru today who tells you do X, Y, and Z and you'll go to heaven or nirvana or you'll reach God or whatever other things they'll say. See, understanding and believing that the word of God is actually the most unique book on planet earth. It's the only writings inspired by God. It changes everything. It gives us confidence in the beliefs that we hold. You see, not only is it inspired by God, but God actually preserves his word for us. It is preserved for us. God has kept his word and preserved it through thousands of years. The word of God is reliable and trustworthy. And this is why we encourage people to spend time reading God's word. Not so you can check the spiritual box and impress your friends. Right? Oh, I did my devotions today. I'm pretty spiritual. I'm pretty great. I'm awesome. It's not so you can gain a bunch of head knowledge, again, to argue with people and debate with people. Now, if there are people that need to be corrected by God's word, we do that. Amen? 
And we don't give them our opinion. We go, hey, this is what the word says. You can agree or disagree, but this is what the word says. Well, yeah, but they don't believe the Bible, preacher. They don't think it's true. They don't believe that it's inspired by God. That's fine. It is inspired. Their lack of faith in that truth doesn't change it. So we give them the inspired word of God. And what terrifies me in some ways is churches have forgotten this. And we have churches that believe that the way we lead people to Christ is through creating an environment or an atmosphere where God can, quote, work. And maybe if we help the Holy Spirit enough, somebody will come to Christ. What utter nonsense. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the spirit that draws them to repentance through the preaching of the gospel. Not through seven steps to be a better you. The word of God is reliable and trustworthy. There have been many attacks upon God's word in the history of Christianity. And yet the word of God remains. It was written over 1500 years three different continents, three languages by various human authors from kings to shepherds and from cover to cover, it doesn't contradict itself and it shares one eternal message of redemption. That God, see it is inspired by God. It is preserved for us. And I know you might think, well, what about all the different translations, different things? The word of God is preserved And we can talk at another point if you have questions about translations and why one translation over another or things like that. That is a much more in-depth conversation that we don't have time to dive into today. But just know that the vast majority of English word-word translations are 98 to 99% same. Modern language, old language differences. There are some translations that are not quite as accurate, but it's all the word of God. Because even in some translations that I would say, oh, they could have interpreted this word a little better. They could have done this a little better. The main aspects of the doctrine of the gospel are completely intact. And so it is the word of God preserved forever in heaven. So from translation to translation, well, it's been translated so many times. Yes, and God is inspiring, not inspiring, preserving his inspired word from generation to generation. That we can say with confidence, this is the word of God. This is accurate to the word of God. So it is preserved, it is inspired, but also we see the word of God is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient. So what do I mean by that? Well, from our text today, we find that it's profitable. It's profitable. And Paul's writing here to Timothy. This is one of the last things Paul's writing to Timothy. Chapter four, he goes into a much more in-depth encouraging Timothy and all that, but he's writing to him these final words. And he says this, In verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and is profitable. It's not profitable because we we deem it profitable. It's profitable because it's inspired. There's a difference there. I don't say, well, the word of God is profitable because I find profit in it. I find gains in it. I find something good in it. No, no, no. Your understanding of God's word and how you deem it as profitable doesn't affect the word of God's Uh, effectiveness in our lives. It is profitable because it is inspired. So how is it profitable? What does Paul say? Says it's profitable for doctrine. So what do we mean by doctrine? Well, doctrine is just a word for teaching. So the Bible is sufficient and profitable for doctrine to know what we believe. It teaches us what to believe. And the truth is we desperately need to remember this in our church culture today. It is the word of God that teaches us what we believe, not our opinions. 
not popular opinion, not culture, not church strategies. It is the word of God that instructs our beliefs about God. And I know I've referenced this so many times, but it was one of the most simple but impactful things I experienced in college. I had a professor that would always ask, what's the question class? And our response was always, what does the Bible say? And I'll never forget that. And he always said, he would continue by saying, if somebody makes a claim about God, you need to ask book, chapter, verse. God is like this. Okay, book, chapter, verse. Well, God does this. Okay, book, chapter, verse. You need to do this for God. Okay, book, chapter, verse. Now, there are things that we don't have a book, chapter, verse on that are personal preferences and personal convictions. That's fine. But they need to be influenced by book, chapter, verse. But if somebody makes a definitive statement about God's character or a belief about God's attributes, there's scripture that needs to be shown there. The 21 New Testament letters that we have in our New Testament. Revelation is ultimately considered by many to be a book of prophecy, not so much a letter. And so we don't include Revelation with the other letters. But the 21 letters that we do have in the New Testament are a great example of this reality that there's doctrine and teaching in the word of God. In them, in those 21 letters, we find two main points. If you had to summarize all the New Testament letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and so on, all the New Testament letters, you could boil it all down to two main points. What do you believe? Theology, that's the foundation of what we believe about God. Why do we believe these things about him? Or orthodoxy, I'm sorry, not doxology. That's, wow, I misspoke there. Orthodoxy. And then orthopraxy is the idea of I take my beliefs and I practice them out in my everyday life. And so as I read these letters, just that's one example of just these 21 letters. I can come to an understanding of what do I believe and why do I believe it? And then how do I live this out in my life? And it's amazing how if we will just go to scripture, we will find so much benefit to understand what we believe and why we believe it. John Gill says in his commentary, this, I think it's perfect. It says, for the discovering, illustrating, and confirming of any doctrine concerning God, meaning the word of God does this for us. For the discovering, illustrating, and confirming of any doctrine of the word of God, or concerning God, we find in the word of God. The being, persons, perfections of God. Concerning the creation and fall of man. Concerning the person and offices of Christ, redemption by him, justification by his righteousness, pardon by his blood, reconciliation and atonement by his sacrifice, and eternal life through him with many others. How do we have an understanding of all these things? How do we have a peace in all these things? Because we read the word and we receive from the word the truth of God. So it is profitable for doctrine or what we believe and why we believe it. But it goes on from there doesn't just leave us at doctrine. It says this, it's profitable for doctrine. Then it says for reproof, reproof. This is the idea of rebuking or exposing, pointing out sin. Now, I don't know about you. There's been many times in my Christian life where I'll be reading the word and the spirit of God will use the word to expose or point something out in my life that needs to change, a sin issue that needs to be addressed. And if you're like me, what do we usually do in those moments? Lord, can we talk about something else right now? I really want to pray for all the missionaries right now. If we could pray for all the missionaries, I'd really appreciate that. We don't need to deal with that issue right now. 
But the word of God is profitable because it exposes and points out our sin. But I'm so thankful it doesn't stop there. Because then he uses another word. He says not only for reproof, but he says for correction. Now, I used to always think that's pretty much the same thing. And there is a similar idea here that we're being corrected, but it doesn't just leave us at pointing out sin. Scripture both points out our sin and offers a solution to it. So Scripture says, hey, this needs to change. This is a sin issue that needs to be changed. You need to repent of that and turn from that. And then Scripture beautifully says, and now here's how you can do that through Christ. Here's the avenue to accomplish that through grace. Then he goes on from there, and he gives us kind of a summary statement. This is a good summary of what Scripture is intended to do in our lives. So it's profitable for doctrine, for what we believe, to correct and expose that sin, to show us there's a solution for our sin, ultimately in Christ. But then also he says, for instruction in righteousness. I love that. Just in a general sense, here's some principles of how to learn to walk in the righteousness that you have. Now, if we're not careful, we think, well, I have my relationship with Christ because I walk in righteousness. No, 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 no. I have a relationship with Christ, which leads me to be able to walk in righteousness before him, to live in a way that honors him. This idea of instruction and righteousness, though similar to teaching, it's really more speaking to training on personal application. So it is teaching us these things, but it's ultimately giving us training and and how to apply these things. And in our last week of the series, we're going to talk about that training that we need to go through to see real change. So from scripture, we learn what is true. We learn what is wrong. We learn how to correct wrong and we learn how to apply truth. You see, the key that Paul is making by giving us these four examples of the need to change and be, it's effective. You ever read a passage and feel like nothing happened? That's okay. We talked about this. Most of your Christian life will not be lived at the mountaintops. It'll be lived in the day-to-day, just the average day. But that's okay. When you read the word, it's doing something. We may not notice it. We may not see it, but it's doing something. I truly believe that the pruning that takes place in our lives that we read about in John 15, that the Spirit of God is pruning us so that we might produce more fruits, I believe that happens in that consistent time in God's word. It's just that day-to-day pruning of our thoughts, pruning of our actions, redirecting our attention, giving us wisdom and things that we can apply later in a conversation or in a decision. It's doing something. It is producing something in us. We are growing in maturity. That's really what Paul is saying here. We are thinking not as children tossed here and there by any wind of doctrine, but we're standing firm on the word of God. James chapter 1 reaffirms this. We are seeing good works produced in and through our lives. That's what he says. Look at verse 17 again. That the man or woman, the person of God, the person in God, in Christ, may be perfect. That word perfect means mature or maturing. Mature. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You have everything you need supplied to you through Christ and salvation by the Spirit through the Word that you can go out and you can live in a way that produces good works. Why? Jesus said this in Matthew, that they might see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so as we see these good works produced in our lives, there are fruits of what God's doing in our hearts and minds. 
Our good works flow out of us by the Spirit, which are being pruned, again, by the Spirit, which really means changed. When you're pruned or being pruned, you're being changed. And that's a good thing. That in Christ, we're being changed into the very image of Christ. This is happening through the knowledge of God's word so that more fruit is produced. Now, I know this morning's message is very simple. That was with intention. I want it to be a simple message because I believe the message that we're trying to communicate this morning is very simple to understand. If we want to see change in our lives for the glory of God, whatever area it might be as followers of Christ, the source for that change comes from the word of God. I'm so thankful that this morning we started doing, um, we have a, a couple in the church that said, hey, could, I, could we just come a little early and open up opportunity for people to just read the word together before service gets going? And I said, absolutely. And so when I got here this morning, I said, how'd it go? And they said, well, it was just the two of us, but that's okay. It was still a good time in the word. And I'm so excited for that. And again, it might be one person shows up, nobody shows up, 10 people show up, I don't know. But I love that we have a church of believers that see the purpose of the word of God as being fruitful in our lives, that this is the source of change. This is where we find truth. And, and not only in the word, but in prayer will we find that time of communicating with him and saying, Lord, I need you to strengthen me. That's why I'm so thankful that we as a church set aside time to pray in various services We have a room dedicated just to prayer on Sunday mornings that you can go and pray and say, Lord, would you open my heart and open my mind and I repent of this sin and I want to know you more and give me an understanding of your word today. Because that's where change takes place. And it starts with me and it flows out through good works into others. As you begin to make those changes God is calling you to make, maybe surrendering to him in an area of your life that you've been holding on to. And maybe realizing the need to let something go that has a hold over you and look to Christ for victory. I want to encourage you to get more consistent in Bible study and prayer and spending time with him. We need to remember that our strength and wisdom to guide us in that processing. And we're going to go to invitation in just a moment. And I know it's maybe a hair earlier than normal. But I, I want you to spend a little time in prayer this morning. I want you to spend some time in prayer saying, Lord, what changes would you have me to make? And so maybe you would come forward in just a moment and bend a knee and say, Lord, I need to, I need to understand from you. What, what do I need to change in my life for your glory? Or what are some differences that I need to make so that you would be honored and praised in my life? Not so that you'll love me more because he loves you the exact same in Christ, but so that he would be honored in your life as you surrender more to him and find more joy and contentment and peace in your walk as you just surrender and say, Lord, my time is yours. My finances are yours. My family is yours. My job is yours. My hobbies are yours. How would you have me use them for your glory this coming year? And then maybe you do this. I I, want to kind of throw this out there as well. I believe that God is calling us to impact this culture for Christ, this community for Christ. And I believe he's positioned our church to do just that. And he wants our church to be effective in those things. I would love if if you would be willing as a a follower of Christ to pray and say, Lord, we want this year to be a year where you're glorified through North Goodland. In the preaching, in the teaching, 
in the Bible studies, in the community service, in the activities, in the children's ministries, and in whatever it is. Lord, we're just going to give this year to you. We're going to commit this year to you as a church, and we're going to ask you to do great things this year for your glory, and that people would come to Christ and follow you in baptism and surrender your lives to you, and we would see this community changed because of Christ working through us. And again, not that we get a pat on the back. It's great to say, hey, good job. Appreciate that. Thanks for serving. But all of this is for his fame to go forth, for his glory to go forth. I don't want to build a brand. I don't want anyone talking about North Goodland and what we do. I want people talking about Jesus and what he's doing and can do in every life that's surrendered. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for this time that we could spend together. Lord, we do. We thank you for your word. It is inspired, it is God-breathed, it is preserved, and it is sufficient. It is, it is the source of change in our lives. And so, Lord, as we move into this new year, we pray that you would use each one of us as you see fit. That we'd surrender to you that area that you're calling us to give to you. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, battling with an addiction. Something that they just believe they could never really get over and let go. You can give them and have given them in Christ the victory over that. They can surrender that and walk away from it for your glory, Lord, and for their blessing. And so, Father, would you work in that situation as you see fit? Would you be with those here today that are prayerfully considering a different change that needs to be made, a a habit of being in your word more, being in prayer more, maybe a way that they need to surrender to you in some other way, Lord? And, And I don't even know what it might be. Maybe it's a personal goal. Maybe it's something about their health. Maybe it's something about a family member, a friend, a relationship. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom in that. And Lord, we thank you for how you are so patient with us. Lord, we struggle day to day to be faithful, even in the little things. And yet you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you loved us in Christ yesterday. You'll love us in Christ today. And you'll hold on to us until we see you one day in heaven. And so, Father, would you be glorified in all of this? And, and Lord, ultimately, again, we ask that we would lift up this year as a church. That this church would stand and exist for one purpose, and that's for your glory. Not to build a brand, not to build an image. Not that anyone would talk about us, but everyone would want to talk about you and what you're doing through us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this last year, and we look forward with great anticipation of what you have ahead And we'll give you all the praise no matter what good or seemingly difficult roads lie ahead because we know it's all for you. Father, be glorified in all of this, we ask in Jesus' name. Would you come and would you stand to your feet this morning as we have a time of invitation, just a time of response? Would you come and pray? Again, maybe you want to pray for something God's leading you to do or a step you need to make, a decision you need to make or a change he's calling you to make. Look to him for the victory. He can give you that strength. Maybe come and pray for the church for the next year. Lord, we surrender to you. And we ask you to do great things. Whatever it is, would you respond as we sing?